Today's episode is brought to you by Angie. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs and projects done well. Let me tell you, there's the version of it where you try to do something at home, and then there's a version of it where you have someone help you, you watch them do it the right way, and you go, thank God I didn't try to do that myself. I have fully done things around the home that I think look good, and then a bang in the night, and I wake up to a shelf collapsing, a painting falling off the wall. Like it, I've, I've seen it all go south. I own a home, and I can tell you... I know how much work it can take. Whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Whatever your home project, big or small, indoor or outdoor, you can Angie that and connect with skilled professionals to get the project done well. Right now, one of my wish lists is I want a bike for my condo in Milwaukee and I would love to rig it up on a pulley in the ceiling because I have one of those like lofted ceilings, but I'm so scared to try that on my own. Angie has 20 years of home experience and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app. Answer a few questions and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode is brought to you by Snapple. Want to know another Snapple fact? The first hot air balloon passengers were a sheep, a duck, and a rooster. Ridiculous. Check out Snapple.com to find ridiculously flavored Snapple near you. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, and those who don't identify as either, you are listening to Ratchet and Respectable. Yeah. This is like the worst transition ever. (laughs) I'm very happy to be in Ghana. It's just a rougher transition than some of the other places that I've lived lived. It just doesn't have the core infrastructure. Definitely not of America. Definitely not of Europe. Definitely not of South Africa. It's just... (laughs) And I'm making stupid mistakes. So like the first couple days that I got here, I wasn't sleeping well. Ghana is five hours ahead of the East Coast right now. I would take a nap in the evening, like 6 p.m. to 10 p.m. And then I'd be awake from 10 until 5 a.m. And then I'd sleep again until like 9 or 10 a.m. So these chunks of sleep, which was not sufficient. So I got here on Thursday. On Friday, I locked myself out the house. I was going downstairs to get something to eat. I literally picked up the key, then put it down, then just walked outside. I have an automatic lock. As soon as the door closed, I was like, fuck, I forgot the key. Had a small panic, called around. The woman who manages the apartment had told me previously she was going to be out of town for the weekend. And so I hit her up and I was like, hey, like, I hope you haven't left yet because crisis. And so she was like, actually, yes, I am out of town. So sorry. And I was like, oh, my God. So I hit up my landlady who's actually in another country right now. 
And then the woman who manages the apartment was like, oh, my husband's at the house and he has access to the key. We live like five minutes away. Ma'am, <laughs> I need you to put all of that in the same text message. But she hit up her husband and I went to a restaurant nearby as planned. Because what else was I going to do? Because I hadn't eaten all day. I got my hair braided. It took forever. So I was sitting at the restaurant. And even before my entree came, her husband showed up with the keys. So inconvenience, but not a crisis. And then last night, Monday, I had prepared to take the podcast in advance. I was good to go. The vibes were right. The energy was right. I knew what I wanted to talk about. And I was sitting on the floor ready to record. And like the whole room went dark. And then the AC cut off. And I was like, the fuck? I think I have PTSD from living in South Africa and the power used to be off all the time. But at least with that, it was scheduled. So I would get up every morning and I would check my little app and it'd be like, okay, so you're not going to have power from like 10 to 2 and then, you know, from 4 to 8 and then from 10 to 2 again. Like it was a pattern. It was predictable. But yesterday I had just run out of electricity. Like I moved into the place on Thursday. In Ghana, you have to pay for your electricity in advance. And I just knew that the landlady would have left me with like a week of electricity minimum, right? And I wasn't even here most of the weekend. I had a whole spa day with one of my friends on Saturday. And then Sunday, I was with Davida all day. Like we went brunching and then we went to a plant festival, which is exactly what it sounds like. Like not even like, like weed plant, like no, just regular like house plants, like a house plant festival, not even like gardening outdoor roses and flowers plants, like no house plants. And so I wasn't even in the house. And then Monday, my power goes out. Um, and I have this little thing. It looks like a TV remote where I can check my electricity, but the batteries weren't working. So I couldn't see how much I had left. But I was like, surely I have enough for like a week. I was like, I just got to make it till Tuesday. Then I'll run all my errands. I'll replace the batteries. I'll put money on the account and do all these other things that I need to do. Apparently and obviously, I didn't have enough electricity to get me through the night. So I had to call Davida and was like, hey. Can I come crash at your house? Because I ain't got no electricity at mine. And then this morning, trying to get electricity was an ordeal. Like, luckily, I had enough cash on me to, like, give to someone to top up my account. One was on the wrong side of town. It was by DeVita's house. And they were like, yeah, so we're not on this grid, so we can't top you up. You have to go somewhere near your house. Fine. Come back to the house. There's a guy here that will run errands. So he was like, sure, I'll take it. I'll top it up. We actually gave him a ride to the place. So he takes care of everything. And I'm like, okay, crisis avoided. And so he gives me the little key code. Like you pay for your electricity and they give you this code, a token, if you will. And you have to bring it back to the house and then punch in the token number on the little remote thing for the electricity. And then your electricity is officially topped up. And then your lights and AC and all that will come back on. So I bought batteries when I went to the first store, changed the batteries out, and a little remote still ain't working. And I'm like, WTF. Hit to hit the landlady again. So she has to call somebody in the building. And then he has to come get the token thing. Then he has to take it somewhere. Blah, blah, blah. Long story short, it took like, which should have been resolved at like 10 a.m., got resolved at like 11.30. And then finally, I had, you know, electricity again. I put so much money on my electricity account. I better not never run out of electricity again the whole time I'm here. I put an American amount of money for like three months worth. It should last the rest of the time I'm here. And still, I'm going to top it up next month. I'm so scared of running out of power again. It is not a good feeling. And not easy to resolve either. You know the season world trips that I do? 
I did one last year for Thanksgiving. 25 Americans come over to celebrate Thanksgiving with me. Well, the travelers just landed literally like an hour ago. I haven't even met them yet. They just got picked up from the airport and they're headed to the hotel. And we have our opening night dinner tonight. So I'm recording the podcast a little earlier than usual so I can hang out with them later and not be distracted with like, still got to record, still got to edit hanging over my head. But I'm really excited to meet them. This is the final See Some World trip. Davida will keep doing them. I think she said she's doing like 13 trips to Ghana next year. But this is the last one for me. So I'm really, really excited about this group of travelers. I, I can't wait to show them like all of my favorite things. And this trip, it's almost like experiencing it for the first time. Because last year's trips, I'd been in Ghana for a few months by the time the travelers came. So all the restaurants that we've been to, they're all in my face. I'd been a couple times by the time they got there. But this round, I just got here Thursday. So I haven't been to all my favorite places yet. Um, so I get to re-experience them for the first time. Actually, this year, they're a fun group. We have a WhatsApp chat that we started a few weeks ago with all of the travelers. And just like by the question that they ask and some of their commentary, you can start to see people's personalities. So I'm really excited to meet them in person tonight. So for the next few days, I'm in total host mode. I'll barely be home, my home, with electricity, finally. We have good black news this week. The thing I'm most excited about is potentially... I read on Forbes, I read on The Root, I saw on the Today Show that Beyonce might, might be headed to the sphere in Las Vegas. I don't know if it's officially a residency, but Beyonce in Vegas, I would love to see her there. And I would love to see her at the sphere. It's Vegas's newest performance venue. I think they were building it. If it's down on the far end of the strip, like not the MGM side, all the way down at the other end, I think, like by the wind somewhere over there, I think I was there when they were building it. I think. I saw videos from, I want to say U2 opened it, and it looks absolutely amazing. Like I would love to see Beyonce or any of my favorite artists there. Just Beyonce's show is so over the top. I would love for that to kick off my sphere experience. But allegedly she's headed to Vegas. I'm reading this on Forbes. They report, sources suggest that negotiations are underway with the Spears team reaching out to Beyonce. Reportedly, the singer's team is requesting a substantial $10 million to produce a high-tech stage show. A hefty price tag, but not one that's unheard of. U2 apparently needed a similar sum to create the stage show they wanted. Still reading from Forbes, they note that both Tina Knowles, Beyonce's mother and manager, is Mama Knowles her official manager? Hmm. And her husband, Jay-Z, have reportedly taken tours of the Sphere separate from one another. What if it's Jay-Z that ends up at the Sphere? I wouldn't be mad at that either. Hmm. U2 is there until February 18th. What if Beyonce dropped Renaissance in December and then announced a residency shortly thereafter? Because if U2 is cleared out by February, Beyonce could get in there by the spring, no? That would be nice. It'd be better if she could do it in March. I think I'll be back on the West Coast then. We'll see. What else is in good black news? Issa Rae is on the cover of Marie Claire. What's Issa girl talking about? I didn't read the article yet. I'm about to read it in real time with y'all. I know she has a new film coming out. It's Jeffrey Wright, Tracy Ellis Ross, Issa Rae, Sterling K. Brown. I saw an ad for the movie and a trailer for it. When I was in D.C., American fiction, if I remember correctly, 
Jeffrey Wright is an author, a serious author, but his books aren't moving. And there's another author. I think that's Tracy Ellis Ross's role. She writes this real kind of hood fiction type book and it goes crazy. And so Jeffrey Wright's character is like, well, I want my book sales to go crazy too. So he decides to write quote and unquote ghetto fiction and adopt a very ghetto demeanor despite not being that at all. I'm going to go ahead and guess this is as much a critique of publishing as it is of American entertainment as a whole. But back to Esau and Marie Claire. Okay, I pulled up this article. It's the 2023 Power Issue. It says Marie Claire sits down with Issa Rae to discuss the SAG after strike. Oh, actually, she's probably not talking about her projects in this because the actors and writers couldn't do interviews based on their projects because of the strike. Okay. But she's discussing the SAG after strike, how she turned her go-to drink for celebrating wins into her next business. She has a Prosecco company, if I recall, and her continued goal to invest in ventures that matter, including her South Los Angeles community. These pictures look really good. I like the cover picture. She has on like a white, it looks like a bathing suit, but it's probably a bodysuit. The white against her skin, she's very well moisturized. Looks really, really beautiful. That said, there's a picture inside where she's got this all yellow. It looks like leather. Is that leather? It could be leather. I don't know. Whatever it is, she's like really brown and like the yellow is really yellow. It's like a marigold kind of yellow, heavy on the gold. She looks really, really good. I like that look too. That could have been a cover as well. Scrolling through the article, seeing if there's anything interesting. She said the SAG after strike was, quote, devastating. She'd been building. It just says a project. It doesn't say which one. I'm like, the girl got like 50 million projects. But she says, I've been building a project for five years and now it's gone. On the entertainment business side, we lost some employees. That really, really sucks. This industry is changing so much. I know that executives and networks aren't going to be as receptive as they were to Black-focused content. I'm not pivoting, but I'm trying to be more strategic in terms of the stories that I tell and maximizing our impact. She talks about a Prosecco line. She talks about her hair care line. She says, quote, I only have a foresight of what isn't going to be. There are certain things that I want to take advantage of outside of the industry just because I feel like the industry doesn't know what it wants to be. It's in flux. And there are no innovators anymore. I want to be able to have control of my own destiny. Okay. Quick and cute. I love Issa. I find her trajectory very, very inspirational. I, like everybody else, used to watch her on YouTube. And now she's on the cover of Marie Claire. I'd be so proud. What else do we have? I still haven't listened to that Andre 3000 album. I swear, I'm going to listen to it at some point. Davida listened to it this morning when she did yoga. And she said she listened to it last night before she went to bed. Everybody I know who listens to the album does it when they're trying to like unwind or meditate or they about to go to bed. I got too much shit to do right now. I can't just put on the music and then lay it down. I'm going to listen to it. I want to listen to it. You, do you know how much you got to love an artist to listen to them play the flute for 89 minutes and that's not their specialty? It's not like all this time. Well, actually, for a long time, he has been a flute player. But he was like playing the flute on street corners and apparently in airports. That's a whole separate thing. But for everyone, he's best known as a rapper. And then he put out a whole album where he doesn't even talk. And people are like, you know what? Off strength on GP. We're going to support. That's a lot of love. I want to see what the sales are for him playing the flute. 
Because I feel like people really did support. We'll see. Today's episode is brought to you by Angie. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs and projects done well. Let me tell you, there's the version of it where you try to do something at home, and then there's a version of it where you have someone help you, you watch them do it the right way, and you go, thank God I didn't try to do that myself. I have fully done things around the home that I think look good, and then a bang in the night, and I wake up to a shelf collapsing, a painting falling off the wall. Like it, I've, I've seen it all go south. I own a home, and I can tell you... I know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Whatever your home project, big or small, indoor or outdoor, you can Angie that and connect with skilled professionals to get the project done well. Right now, one of my wish lists is I want a bike for my condo in Milwaukee and I would love to rig it up on a pulley in the ceiling because I have one of those like lofted ceilings, but I'm so scared to try that on my own. Angie has 20 years of home experience and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app. Answer a few questions and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I.com. I did finally watch the latest episode of Black Cake. I'm into this story. It's very good. I don't think I like any of the characters. I definitely don't like the mama who's telling this story from the grave. I find these tapes and the way that she's allowing them to be released completely and utterly manipulative. I'm like, if you wanted to take it to the grave, just take it to the grave. Don't spill the tea afterward. Just let things be where they are. You out here causing all this damn chaos and you're not even here to pick up the pieces of the of the lives that you're destroying with all of this story. You may think you're being helpful by coming clean and telling the truth, but I'm like, ma'am, not really. This latest episode, it came out last Wednesday, so I don't feel like this is a spoiler. You had a whole baby and didn't tell nobody, including your husband or your children, that there's this other sibling out there in the world. Benny's messed up. You know, she was the daughter and then her brother was the brother. And then she finds out, oh, I'm not the daughter. I'm a daughter. And I'm now like the middle child. Like what? That'll fuck you up. And it's fucking her up. And then her brother, the mom said she was going to commit suicide. And the brother is so hurt. And I'm like, rightfully so. He was like, you was just going to leave me? He's all messed up. I mean, on top of his other messed up stuff. And I was like, yeah. And Benny, I'm so mad at her right now. Like, you didn't speak to your parents for eight years because your father told you you were a flake at the dinner table. I mean, he wasn't nice about it. He wasn't. I didn't feel that that was eight years to not speak to your parents. But even if you felt that it was, like, did you feel that your father and your family had so wronged you, so abandoned you, that you weren't going to speak to them for all this time? You're just the type of person that holds grudges. Okay. But the dude who beat your ass literally, like, punched you in the face. Like, Mike Tyson your ass. Like, some Diddy Cassie on your ass. You out of the relationship with him, went back to the house, wrecked his shit, and then he gives you some sob story, and then you forgive him? And not only do you forgive him, it's like you seemingly forgot. You called your brother scared for your life to say, if something happens to me, this is where I am. Did you not think your brother was going to rush to your rescue? Like you scared the shit out your brother. He runs to the house to rescue you and you sitting outside with your abuser, Kiki and ha ha 
And then your brother starts to beat the abuser's ass because he got his own shit going on. He was mad at the man for beating his sister's ass, but he's also mad just in general because his girlfriend left him because his job been fucking with him because his mama just died and she tried to kill herself and was just going to leave him behind. And he just found out he has a sister and the sister that he knew about is dysfunctional as fuck. He had a lot going on, but he proceeds to beat this man's ass. And then the police show up. Everybody outside is filming the shit. This man got a forward-facing job. As soon as this video of him beating up this white man hits the internet, he gonna lose his job. And Benny, I'm like, you didn't think about none of that? And that brother, we just went through like half his issues. He also has a little girlfriend. His girlfriend looks so much like Debbie Allen. Like it completely freaks me out looking at this woman because I'm like, I'm looking at Debbie Allen, but it's not Debbie Allen. Some early episode, right after his mother died, his girlfriend came over to the house to comfort him and they made the sex. And then she was talking to him about getting his shit together. He got offended and kicked the girl out. She popped back up at his house apologizing. And I was like, you apologizing to him after he kicked you out of his house? I mean, perhaps she shouldn't have said some of the things that she said at the time that she said it in the way that she said it. I felt like kicking her out the house was a bit excessive. I think to kick somebody out your house or out of an event, I feel like that's a declaration of war. I feel like that's some real hardcore, I don't fuck with you. But he kicked her out the house and then she came bringing the doorbell. I was like, I'm sorry, I just wanted to apologize. Can I come in? Only to sit on the couch with him and find out about the current state of his job. And she was like, really, that's how you're going to play this? And she was like, yeah, so I can't. He was like, what do you mean? <laughs> and she was like, I love you. I really do. And God bless this girlfriend because she was at the dinner table when the father went off on Benny. And that was like eight years prior. So the girlfriend been around for a bop. But she really sat there. And again, it's like the same week his mother died. And he learning all these secrets and all this family drama. And she was like, yeah, I love you. I really do. But I also want to respect you. And basically, I don't. And they packed up her pocketbook, literally and figuratively, and left. Peace. This show is... <laughs> I'm so tired of this lady and her goddamn secrets. Also, the sister... So the mother gave the child up for adoption. She don't know what happened to the girl. But the version of events from the show is that she's scrolling on social media and she sees a cooking video that the woman has done and she recognizes a birthmark on her forehead and she was like, in my heart, I immediately knew that this was my daughter. She hires a private investigator. The private investigator confirms. Okay, so then we see the daughter and I'm like looking at her and I'm like, how you get, because the mom is Chinese and black. And she has a baby, I'm assuming, with the white man who had assaulted her. So half white, one quarter black, one quarter Asian. And then the woman on the screen, I'm like, she looked white to me. When I was talking about it on social media, people were like, she don't look no kinds of white. They were like, she could be Middle Eastern. There might be some Southeast Asian in her. But they were like, yo, she doesn't look white. And I was like, in what world don't she look white? And they were like, you see white? And I was like, I don't see nothing but white. And people were like, no, she looks like, you know, it's like Southern Italian, which is what her parents told her. I was like, she don't look nothing but white to me. But then she finds out that she's adopted. She finally confronts her parents and was like, why didn't you tell me that I was adopted? And they were like, hmm, what you mean? <laughs> and they knew she was of some colors. And nobody told her. And she was like, well, how come nobody said anything? Like, no one. And she was like, well, we told the neighbors not to say anything either. What? So y'all knew this girl had some ethnicity and y'all didn't tell her nothing all this time? No. 
All these secrets. And then we can't find out what happens next with the tapes. The mother's directions for the tapes is like, I guess after you get to tape three or four, the lawyer was supposed to reach out to the adopted daughter and let her know that she has family. And then if the adopted daughter agrees to come to California and listen to the tapes with her siblings, then they can get to the next tapes. I was like, you putting a lot on this adopted daughter who didn't know nothing about you all this time, who may or may not have any interest in meeting you. And her decision of what to do holds your biological children that you raised hostage to find out the rest of your crazy ass story that you decided not to tell them the whole time you were alive. The ma'am knew she was dying. She knew it was a matter of time. I don't understand why she just didn't tell the kids so she could answer their questions. Now she's telling them just what she wants them to know and they can't ask anything and get any further information. It's so highly manipulative to me. Like the mother really pisses me off. And yet... I can't stop watching the show because I need to know the rest of what this lady's story is. And I'm like, God damn it. This white, non-white lady got to get on the plane from London and get over to California so I can hear the rest of this story. <sighs> at least the kids got free time now because the brother ain't going to have no job after what happened at the end of last episode. Benny ain't got no real job now. <sighs> I hope the mother left them some money too. Because the brother, he looked like the type of man that would have some savings. But he ain't the type of man that's gainfully employed after that shit his sister pulled. Lord. Maybe it was best that Benny was gone for eight years. I'm just saying. I know she family, but she also chaos. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. I have Will Smith, Dwayne Martin. I'm scared to talk about it. I'm not trying to get sued. Tasha K of Cardi B fame, who to my knowledge still owes Cardi B $4 million and is crying broke. She had a former assistant to Will Smith on her show. And the former assistant made some, some very salacious allegations about Will Smith and Dwayne Martin sexually. Will Smith, through his representative, has denied the allegations. Jada Pinkett Smith went on The Breakfast Club and she talked about the allegations. She also said that they are not true. She said that the Smiths would be suing. That the only reason the assistant is making these allegations is because basically it was a shakedown the assistant was trying to get money. The Smith said no. And so the assistant went on Tasha Kay and told a bunch of lies. But Jada said multiple times that they would be suing. I'm assuming for defamation. I'm scared to talk about it. I ain't trying to get sued. I will say this. The allegations about Will Smith and Dwayne Martin have been circulating for, I don't know, over a decade. What was that show? It was Dwayne Martin... Lisa Ray played his, I think, ex-wife. Cute little kid. And I want to say Will Smith was a producer on the show. Around the time that show was on the air, 
is when I first heard people talking about Dwayne Martin and Will Smith. And I didn't hear that from like insiders. I mean, it was just like random gossip about them. The reason I think it has the traction that it does right now is because the person saying it is a former assistant of Will Smith. And then also he says that he firsthand saw Will Smith and Dwayne Martin having sex. I don't know that there's any truth to it. I have no insider knowledge on that. I've never heard anything from any kind of source, credible or otherwise. It's just a long circulating rumor. I'll also say nothing fucking surprises me. I put nothing past anyone. I've said on here multiple times, I don't vouch for any men. Because folks be like, he would never do that. And then turn around and then the niggas on video doing it. If he did it, he did it. If he didn't, he didn't. Um, If they sue, they do. Nothing would surprise me. That said, I'm saying nothing would surprise me. The lawsuit that I read last week actually did surprise me. And I've had this conversation with multiple friends over the last couple days. Working in entertainment, I was always warned of how crazy things could be. How some people could just be devils. The stuff in Cassie's lawsuit was beyond my comprehension. Like when people warned me about the entertainment industry, my understanding was like your basic drugs, people stealing your money, people stealing your work, not giving you credit for it, violence for sure, sexual assault for sure, harassment, disrespect for sure. But just the the whole cocktail of the way it came together in Cassie's lawsuit, the idea that like, not even a hardcore rapper. This is going to sound really fucked up. And it's my fault for stereotyping. I take responsibility for having a narrow point of view. If you told me somebody from like Onyx or like Tretch from Naughty by Nature, right? Or like DMX, Styles P. Somebody who had like a real like gully demeanor was kicking women in the face. Or, like, stepping outside a party and, like, beating a woman in the bathroom, like, busting both her eyes, busting her nose, busting her lip, gashes in her forehead, and then just casually stepping back into the party. Almost like James St. Patrick. You know how he goes from ghost to James St. Patrick? But it was like, okay, suspension of disbelief for TV. And then come to find out, seemingly, allegedly, according to the lawsuit, that's what Diddy is in real life. We knew he was a reckless kind of dude. I mean, because of this lawsuit, people have been going back and doing timelines of like Diddy's worst moment. And like it starts with like the stampede at Diddy College. Did he crack a bottle over Steve Stout's head? And then Steve Stout dropped the lawsuit. And then there's an incident in that nightclub that results in Shine going to jail for 10 years. There's some incident at the VMAs where he and J. Cole get into something, which J. Cole has verified. There was the time at, where was his son playing football at? Was that UCLA? He attacked the coach because he didn't like the way the coach was talking to his son. Like there's blowups over the years of stuff like that. And then there's always been murmurs about like, you know, how involved were you in like the the Biggie Tupac thing? Puffy always kind of seemed to me like a little bit corny. He claims Harlem real hard, but he's actually from upstate. But he always seemed like, The business guy who was adjacent to the fuckery but made beats and popped up in your videos because he wanted to be seen. But he kind of seemed like the corny dude who made a lot of money to turn himself into like a personality. And then come to find out like 
Diddy's the type of dude that keeps guns in a safe. And when he hears Shug Knight is at the diner, wants to pull up to shoot Shug Knight. Like, what? Also, about that lawsuit, I keep seeing people all over the place being like, oh my God, Cassie took the money. I can't believe she settled. All she wanted was the money. I'm like, you know that was a civil suit, right? There's two reasons people do civil suits. One, they want the money. There's also a lesser burden of proof with civil suits versus criminal suits. It's the way you get a situation like OJ, for instance, who's found not guilty criminally, but then found liable civilly. Also, too, I think Cassie wanted to speak her piece, which she did with this lawsuit. We'll never know exactly what Cassie was thinking or her motivations. I'm sure this settlement included an airtight NDA where she probably can't even mention his name publicly. So we'll never really know exactly what Cassie's motivations were. But I'm a guess that she wanted to get her story out there. And according to Puff's lawyers and Cassie's lawyers, Puff's lawyers said Cassie was seeking money before she filed the lawsuit. Cassie's lawyer says that Puff offered her an eight-figure settlement and she refused it and went forward with the lawsuit. So I'm going to go ahead and guess that she was willing to see it through to the end. Because if he said he wasn't settling beforehand, I think we'll talk about that in a second. For, but that would have gone on forever and a day. If possible, it would have been live covered the same way we did the OJ trial. Maybe not on network TV, but all the cable news. If they weren't live streaming from the courthouse, there would be a segment every night recapping capping what happened in the trial. Every major blog would be talking about it. All the podcasters would be talking about it, which means all of the public would be talking about it. It would have been a huge mess. Cassie would have had to sit on a stand in detail, explicitly, how this man allegedly abused her all these years. Who the fuck wants to replay that, likely for months? Would you? I wouldn't. I'm not mad she took the money. And also, again, it was a civil case. Like, I expected she was going after money because that's what a civil case is. I'm not mad. I just hope she got good coin. I've been debating with people about how much she got. Like, obviously, the number hasn't been published. But Diddy's lawyers say Cassie was asking for $30 million before the lawsuit was filed. I think if she was asking for 30 on Wednesday, they settled for more than 30 on Friday. Because after the lawsuit dropped and overwhelmingly people believed her, if not because there's enough like shady shit in Diddy's past that people were like, he's up to something. And also the amount of detail in the lawsuit. She said he did that shit, he did that shit. He looks crazy right now. I just can't figure out for the life of me, like, why he didn't just cut the check. There was a conversation about money to keep the lawsuit from coming out. Did he just not think that she would file it? But, like, if she went to the point that she was going to hire a lawyer to be in conversation with your lawyer about it, like, you didn't think she was for real, for real? You thought she was still, like, the 19-year-old girl that you met and seemingly groomed and manipulated and abused, allegedly, all those years? It's always so confusing, I guess, to me when men, older men, go get these young women and they do whatever they do to them. Abuse, manipulation, assault, like any of those things. But it's like you go do these things to these young, impressionable, naive women who are just like, you know, entering into adulthood, haven't quite figured out all the things yet, still trying to like establish themselves as much as like figuring out who they are 
as building a career, building a network, building a voice, building power even. And it's like they never think that those women will ever like grow up. They never think that these 19-year-old young women will eventually become empowered 35-year-old women or 40-year-old women or 60-year-old women. It's like they never expect women to actually find a voice and grow up. Like they'll be silent all of their lives. They just never seem to forward think that way. It's like I'll do these things and like who the fuck is she? She's nobody and I'm everybody. And I'm like that little 19-year-old nobody is about to sink your fucking ship. I mean that lawsuit was a huge blow. He's still standing right now but I was like but Cassie, again, if what she alleges is true, isn't the only one he did that to. There's other women. And now that they know that there's a pattern because somebody is like spoken out in public, it empowers them to come forward. Maybe they'll file lawsuits or maybe they'll just go straight to him demanding hush money. Otherwise, they do file a lawsuit. I definitely don't think Cassie's the only one. And I definitely don't think Cassie's the only one who's going to talk. It's just a matter of time. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. He's been quiet. I don't think he's posted since the lawsuit dropped. I mean, that happened last Wednesday. It hasn't even been a week yet. And I'm on his page right now. They've limited the comments. Literally nothing in any of the comments references the lawsuit. They put the comments on limited. I couldn't even comment if I wanted to. But I'm like, how does he go back to posting after this? Like the next post, like what does that look like? Is he ever going to acknowledge the lawsuit? And what do the comments look like? Because surely you can't turn those on. I saw a woman the other day, she posted a picture with Diddy and it was before the lawsuit dropped. You know, Instagram will show you stuff like days late. So it popped up in my feed. All the comments from a week ago were like, oh my God, you met Diddy, you're working with Diddy, like that's amazing. And then all the comments from four days ago were like, girl, delete this, not a flex. Oh my God, did he beat you too? It's bad. I mean, if he did it, which we'll never know in the case of Cassie, he deserves what the fuck he gets. I think he did it. I think most people think he did it. There's always some fuckboys that'll rush to defend any man for any reason, like no matter what he does. Even like the incels, like the hardcore Samuelites, they've been standing down pretty heavy on this one. I haven't seen a lot of people rushing to his defense. I mean, there's always a few. And there's always like the, you know, well, why did she wait so long? I don't think I've seen anybody say, I don't believe he did that shit. There are people who say, well, like, oh, well, you know, she was a grown ass woman and she was a willing participant. And she stuck around for all the good times. Like she could have left if she wanted, which I was like, did y'all read the lawsuit? Because she did try to leave multiple times. And then when she finally did leave, he raped her. But I would actually argue that all of their freak off experiences would count as rape. Seeing as how she called it sex trafficking, it wasn't consenting. But people were saying that, you know, she chose to stick around for all of that. And so now she's trying to get money on the back end. I have not seen one person say, I don't think he did it. I haven't seen any celebrity try to stand up for him. Like you had a whole roster of bad boy artists. Nobody's defending you? Nobody? Not one? Speaking of allegedly terrible people, last week's episode, we didn't get to talk about our book from our unofficial book club, Sheila Johnson, Walk Through Fire, 
a memoir of love, loss, and triumph. We did the first 50 pages last Tuesday, and then Friday, I talked about Diddy the whole episode because that lawsuit was insane. But we didn't make it to the next portion of our read, pages 51 to 100. I think that's chapters 4 to 6. So we're going to pick up where we left off last Tuesday. If you do not want to hear spoilers for Sheila Johnson's book, then you should stop listening to the podcast now. This is our last segment for this episode, but we're going to discuss Sheila Johnson's book now. So please log off if you're not interested in, in the recap. Go ahead. You can go now. I went. Okay, if you're still here, then we're going to talk about Miss Sheila now and her co-founder at BET slash husband of 33 years. At last we left off, Bob was showing his ass once again. Sheila was graduating from college and Bob wasn't allowing her to walk at her commencement ceremony. So remember we talked previously about how Bob had dropped out of school. He was in grad school at Princeton and Sheila was still undergrad at the University of Illinois. And he found out Sheila was dating. And so he dropped out of school at Princeton and came back to Illinois to claim, essentially, Sheila. He claimed her by punching a hole in the wall um, while telling her that she was his woman. Sheila thought it was cute. Sheila was young. Sheila was young. So yeah, so that was like literally page 49, the end of chapter three. So we're picking up on page 51. Sheila says that when they got to Princeton, because Bob decided to go back to school, she says, Bob and I had almost no money between us. So when we moved into our one-bedroom apartment in Princeton, I got to work. She said, we were staying in a grad student dorm. Bob had a scholarship that covered school. It didn't pay for groceries, gas, car insurance, or any of our daily living expenses. So I had to start working right away to make sure our bills got paid. Sheila, ma'am. Sheila, ma'am. You done married this man, and he ain't got shit. You got to figure out how to feed y'all. What did Bob offer again? Other than a hand in marriage. What, what else did he offer? Sheila says she got a job as a music teacher. And then she says, I guess after Bob's first year at Princeton, he landed a summer internship in Brussels. He was hoping to become a foreign service officer. And she says she went over to Brussels with him, and she got training to be a diplomat's wife. She spends all of a paragraph talking about this time in Brussels. I'm gonna guess Bob must have acted kind of halfway decent and did. She says, we had a great time that summer, but when we got back to Princeton, we only had about $50 left in the bank. I knew I could feed us for a week on $25 worth of groceries. This is how they live in, future billionaires. So Sheila got another job. She was teaching orchestra at Princeton Day School. This is one of those fancy private schools. Might be a prep school. She says, there were a lot of weird things going on at PDS. Spouse swapping. Key parties. I circled that. I don't know what a key party is. Can somebody fill me in? She said, married people suddenly deciding they swung both ways. Some professors openly smoked pot, even inviting students to take part. She says, I was still as square as could be. So for me, all the carrying on among PDS faculty and parents felt like having a front row seat to a strange and steamy soap opera. You know what? I'll say this as someone who went to a prep school and I'm still to this day pretty straight and narrow. I do crazy shit like move across the ocean. But when it comes to drugs, sex, I'm still pretty square. That's not the point. 
I went to prep school. And then obviously I had friends from my neighborhood, from my church, who went to public school. When I would go to parties with them, the craziest stuff they would do was smoke weed. It might be some liquor around, but it wasn't really that serious. In my prep school, there used to be this girl that did heroin in the bathroom. I went to prom. There were Coke lines on the bathroom counter. And then when I went outside by the pool, they were smoking something and they wouldn't tell me what it was. And there was always liquor, always like hard liquor, not just like beer. Like when hanging out with my friends from public school, like the focus was chill, talk shit, tell jokes. Like it was just really just to have a good time. But when I would hang around with my prep school friends, and they were mostly all white, like the good time was to get fucked up. And they were just so casual. They'd be like, oh, D, did you see the Coke in the bathroom? I did. I'm good. Oh, okay. I just found her mention of like the stuff that the parents and teachers were doing to be interesting. Because I was like, yeah, their kids were doing that shit too. So Bob finishes his master's degree. He decides that foreign service isn't for him. And he takes a government job. It's the Corporation for Public Broadcasting, a nonprofit created by President Johnson to support public television. He also takes a job at the Urban League. She says this marks the start of his interest in black social power and TV, a combination that would later become the basis of BET. So they move to Washington, D.C. Sheila gets a job as a research analyst on Capitol Hill, but she decides she'd rather do teaching. She starts teaching at Sidwell Friends, where Malia and Sasha went, and Chelsea Clinton, and the kids of a bunch of other high-ranking people over like many, many, many years. That's like DC's it school. For the most part, since his little antics after her graduation, Bob wasn't doing too much crazy stuff. She does know he was often out in the evenings, coming home very late at night, and I wasn't always sure what exactly he was doing. Which I was like, Miss Sheila, Miss Sheila. She says this of herself, I was still pretty naive. A Miss Goody Two-Shoes who just assumed that her husband had work obligations and that was that. She was working at Sidwell and then she was also giving private lessons, which eventually started to pay more than she was making as a teacher. She says it was around this time that Bob, quote, started picking at me about little things. She says once when he brought a colleague home, I fixed dinner and brought their plates to the table. Bob took one bite of his, looked at me, and announced, This food is terrible. I'm giving it to Old Yella. Was he joking? I wasn't sure. Well, who's Old Yella? I asked. In response, Bob stood up, carried his plate into the kitchen, and scraped his food into the trash can, which happened to be yellow. I just stared at him while his friend squirmed at the table. That nigga would have starved. I never would have cooked another meal for the duration of that marriage. He would have starved. Miss Sheila, Miss Sheila's not me. Miss Sheila said, I knew I could cook, so I didn't take that particular criticism to heart. It didn't make sense, as his words had made his friend even more uncomfortable than they made me. How was that possible? I guess she used to being talked too crazy, so this wasn't like too high on the crazy meter, so she thought it was just normal. She said, quote, I just resolved not to cook that particular dish again and tried to forget about it, which I obviously failed to do as I still remember it 50 years later. She continues, I wanted to please Bob. I wanted him to feel like I was a good wife. 
And I suppose I thought that by purchasing the townhome, that's the house in Southwest, bringing in extra money, that's the private tutoring, and keeping him fed and comfortable, that's the food he just threw in the fucking trash, I might earn his approval. But it seemed the more I tried to please him, the more he tried to knock me off balance. You know, people don't really like you, he'd say. You think you're all that, but you're not. He seemed to enjoy lobbing insults my way. She says nobody was around to tell me that I wasn't ugly or that people actually liked me. Jesus. She also says that she quit her job at Sidwell in order to teach music full time. She went from making $7,200 a year to $68,000. I was like, okay, we're talking respectable money now. Sheila discovers that she's doing this private tutoring, that she has a strong entrepreneurial streak. And she also points out that she handles all the finances for she and Bob. She had the opportunity to go overseas and teach in Europe for a while. She says when she was on the road in Europe, she would call home to tell Bob about a performance or an experience. And she said no matter when she called, it was hard to reach him in the evenings. And she said, no matter how late it was in D.C., he often didn't pick up the phone. Midnight, 1 a.m., 2 a.m., dot, dot, dot. She said, I'd call. The phone would ring until our answering machine came on. There were no cell phones then, so there was no other way to reach him. She says, where was he? I didn't know, and I didn't ask, because I didn't really want to know. It just felt easier that way. She notes that around this time, Bob had taken a job with the National Cable Television Association. And she says, our lives were about to change dramatically once again. Bob decides he wants to do this thing called Black Entertainment Television. I think this part is important. It'll come up later in our discussion when I'm like, Sheila, why won't you leave? They need money to start BET. So Sheila signs on for a loan for $15,000. Bob quits his job and gets a consulting gig with them that pays him $15,000. So they start BET and Sheila notes, we split the shares among the three members of our first board of directors, me, Bob, and our lawyer, Joe. Keep this in mind as we continue this conversation. They have the $30,000. They ended up getting a commitment from an investor for $500,000 to get them off the floor. He starts with an initial 180. As they're getting closer to launch time, they've got to set up the office. They've got to bring on staff. They've got a whole bunch of things to do to actually get the network running and get something on TV. They're about $25,000 short. They're trying to figure out where to get the money from. She said, we desperately needed fast cash or the company would collapse before it ever got going. She says, one evening, after spending a few hours crunching the numbers and fretting, the answer came to me. She said, Bob, I can sell my violin. The one that her parents bought her, the $15,000 violin, she told Bob she was going to sell it. She said, quote, Bob just looked at me. He knew how much I loved my violin, and we both knew how much my parents had sacrificed to get it for me. That violin represented my mother's dreams for me and her belief in my abilities. It was truly a special instrument, like an extension of my own arm. But it was the only item we owned that could instantly bring in the kind of cash that we needed to make it to BET's launch. She sold it. 
for $26,000. She don't even say nothing about Bob saying thank you. Bob being like, no, Sheila, I know how much it means to you. Literally, she said, Bob just looked at me. You doing all this for a man that don't say thank you, Miss Sheila? Ma'am. Ma'am. I also think it's notable. Sheila has this $15,000 violin when her father walks out on her mother and they're basically destitute. Her mother has this nervous breakdown. Sheila has to go get a job mopping floors at JCPenney's. They didn't even sell the violin then. And she sold it for Bob. And she said, I'm going to sell it. And he looked at her. Sheila, a good woman. Bob, oh. Sheila goes on to say, if this BET idea worked the way Bob and I thought it would, I'd be able to buy any violin I wanted down the line. I wonder if she ever went back and bought her violin or a violin equivalent to her violin. She says, um, I was determined to do whatever I needed to make this work. Also, in the middle of all this, when she's talking about like, you know, she sold her violin and she's doing unpaid hours, building the business, all of that. She's still working full time because BET is not bringing in any money. Bob isn't even taking a salary at this point. Wyndham Hotels and Resorts makes travel possible for all. Whether it's the long haulers looking for a great cup of coffee, a roomier rest for the on-a-whim road trippers, or a place to make summer memories with the whole family. No matter who you are, where you're going, or why, with 24 trusted brands to choose from like La Quinta, Days Inn, and Super 8, your Wyndham is waiting. Get the lowest price at WyndhamHotels.com. Restrictions apply. Visit website for more details. BT had other problems beyond Bob's restless penis. We're on page 78. And Miss Sheila, who does the finances for the house, we mentioned that earlier. She says Bob finally started taking a paycheck and she's looking at it one day and she says, why does your paycheck keep changing? And Bob was like, I don't know and I don't care. They know what they're doing. And she was like, mm, something's off. It just, something's not, something's not right. So Sheila started paying attention to what was going on in the office. And she noticed that Polly, this is Bob's sister, had bought herself a Mercedes and had begun wearing designer clothes to the office. She says Polly was suddenly swanning around like a Hollywood starlet. Bob confronted Polly, who swore to high heaven she hadn't stolen anything. She said, how dare you accuse me? Sheila and Bob shut down the office and bring in a private investigator to find out what's going on. The PI finds Polly appeared to left the trail of stolen money. It looked as if she had not only embezzled money out of people's paychecks, she had also been using her company credit card to buy clothes and items for herself. Bob was furious with his sister, but he didn't have the heart to fire her. She signed a note promising to repay the money she'd taken, and Bob decided to look the other way. Somebody in the company found out about Polly and wrote a note to one of their investors. They, they outlined that this woman stole and she got caught, but she wasn't fired because she's Bob's sister and anyone else would have been terminated and prosecuted. And it's not okay that she works there. So once the investor found out, Polly has to go. Sheila says Bob didn't want to fire Polly, but in the end, there didn't seem to be a choice. He told her not to come back to work, but Polly said, you can't fire me. Instead, she informed him that she was quitting and she wanted compensation. According to Polly, Bob's response was, bitch, you will get nothing from me until you crawl. 
but that's your sister. But she did steal from her brother. Miss Sheila says, Polly started calling the house, begging me to intervene, screaming about how badly Bob was treating her. This is after she stole the money from the company that Miss Sheila also owns. You stole from the company and then are confused on how you're getting fired. You're calling the other owner of the company to be like, intervene, let me keep my job after I literally stole money out of your husband's paycheck. You stole money from your own brother's paycheck? Maybe I'm not that mad Bob talked to her like that. We've moved to chapter six. So you know, Sheila had taught orchestra at Sidwell Friends and she'd also started her own organization, Young Strings in Action. This was like a children's orchestra. So one night they're performing at the old post office, which used to be Trump Hotel. They just changed it to something else. I don't remember what it's called now. But Queen Noor of Jordan was in the audience. And she ends up inviting Miss Sheila and the Young Strings Orchestra to Jordan. It's a very lovely experience. She says after their first performance, the audience was cheering, clapping, stomping, and throwing flowers up onto the stage. It was just magical. They spent about two weeks there. At the time Miss Sheila went to Jordan, she notes that she's 35 years old and she and Bob had been married for 15 years. They didn't have children. She was healthy, Bob was healthy, but for whatever reason, they just could not conceive. They decided to adopt a daughter, Paige. Miss Sheila says after Paige came, she said Bob really connected with her. And for the first time in, well, maybe ever, I saw a sweeter side of him emerge. She said, I felt that maybe having a baby would bring us closer. And for a few months, it seemed like that might actually happen. But like so many of the hopes I clung to in our relationship, this one would eventually be dashed too. Damn. Not so very long after they adopt Paige, Sheila becomes pregnant. She says she was almost 40 at the time. And she notes that just like before, she says, Bob was kinder and more considerate of me during my pregnancy than he'd ever been. He bought me racks full of maternity clothes. And for the first time in our marriage, he began telling me how beautiful I looked. It was as if my being pregnant validated him and he couldn't wait to show me off to the world. This was a really nice time for us, and my pregnancy went along without complications, which was a relief. I got bigger and bigger, and I felt the baby start kicking. Unfortunately, the baby was born alive, and he lived for one hour. She said Bob came to meet her at the hospital. She said in all her years with him, that was the first time she ever saw him cry. She said Bob looked at the baby, and he said, he looks like me. She said he held the baby too. And eventually a nurse came and took the baby. Garen, it's the baby's name. They took Garen away. She said she really beat up on herself after the baby passed. She said Bob never indicated that he blamed her for the baby not surviving, but she blamed herself. Even apologizing to Bob, she said, I'm so sorry I failed you. She says, I felt like he had done his part. He had gotten me pregnant. And I was the one responsible for caring and giving birth to a healthy baby. And I had screwed that up. She writes, I know that doesn't make sense, but where Bob was concerned, I had gotten to the point of feeling like I couldn't do anything right. Three months after they lost Garen, they adopted a baby boy named Brett. Also around this time, Bob comes to Sheila and he says that he needs her to work at BT full time. 
She said she'd been teaching music for 17 years. She'd achieved every goal that she set for herself in that arena. And she notes that she'd been so successful that the Jordanian government had given her their highest award in education. She notes what an honor it was and that it was only slightly tarnished by the fact that Bob refused to join her in Jordan for the ceremony. She says, I took my mother instead. This woman has put up with your shit like 15, 20 years of marriage at this point. She got a loan in her name to invest in your company business. She sold her cherished violin. She done carried your baby who passed away. You done cheated on the woman nonstop since right after you met her. She missed her college graduation for you. And you couldn't get on a plane and go to Jordan of all places for her to receive an award in music. And this is after you've asked her to give up her life's work, her primary passion to come work in your business that is currently failing. And you couldn't get on a plane and go sit next to your wife, the mother of your children, while she's being honored. Oh, Bob. At least the nigga consistent. He been ain't shit with this woman since the day he met her. She's explained multiple times why she won't leave. And like, I get it. I get it. Her daddy wasn't shit. And Bob got in her head real early. She don't have a lot of self-esteem. She don't have a lot of friends around her to tell her that Bob is full of shit. I get it. At the same time, I'm just like, how could you be so mean to somebody? I don't really have it in me to just shit on people like that. Like, if you do some crazy shit and I got my reasons for not liking you, then it is what it is. But he's just so bad to this lady. He's just like a full-on villain. It's like he's the original Puffy. For our next portion, we're going to read Sheila Johnson. It's going to be pages 99 to 149. That's chapters 7 through 9. We're going to try to do that on Friday. God willing, no crazy shit happens. Nobody files another lawsuit. All right. That's the episode for this week. We'll be back on Friday. Talk soon. Bye. Today's episode is brought to you by Angie. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs and projects done well. Let me tell you, there's the version of it where you try to do something at home, and then there's a version of it where you have someone help you, you watch them do it the right way, and you go, thank God I didn't try to do that myself. I have fully done things around the home that I think look good, and then a bang in the night, and I wake up to a shelf collapsing, a painting falling off the wall. Like it, I've, I've seen it all go south. I own a home, and I can tell you... I know how much work it can take. Whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Whatever your home project, big or small, indoor or outdoor, you can Angie that and connect with skilled professionals to get the project done well. Right now, one of my wish lists is I want a bike for my condo in Milwaukee and I would love to rig it up on a pulley in the ceiling because I have one of those like lofted ceilings, but I'm so scared to try that on my own. Angie has 20 years of home experience and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app. Answer a few questions and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of any home project in just a few taps. 
Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I.com.